What's up, my fellow monkeys and apes? You're listening to the Armed Ape Podcast. This is your host, Tony, also known as Old Uncle Silverback. And today is the 15th of August. It's a Sunday. The year is 2010. On today's show, we're going to finish up with Ken's review. And he's doing that on the actual on the Appleseed Project. So that's going to be a good review we'll get from him. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know if this is your first time tuning in, uh, Ken had done a couple other reviews for us. Currently, he is uh, going through basic training in the military, so uh, we want to send him lots of good vibes and good luck. Uh, he should be finished up with that, hopefully, in uh, mid-October, if I uh, if I remember correctly. So, And uh, I know he won't be able to get a chance to listen to these shows until he gets out, but uh, know we were thinking about you and pulling for you the whole time, Ken. All right, let's see, what else? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, an article that I read in the paper, and it was from last week's paper, uh, but it'll be a kind of a follow-up to a show that I did over at Firearms Cafe where I talked about uh, when constitutional carry came through and kind of the, the paper's take on it and everything. Before we jump into that stuff, let's take a, a couple of minutes and we'll get some of our contact info out of the way. If you want to contact me, please feel free to do so. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. I've got a voicemail line. I've got email. I've got stuff over on Facebook. You know, on Twitter, I've got junk over there, but I've, I've pretty much given up on that stuff. Um, I actually kind of I, I think I prefer Facebook a little bit better. Uh, but anyway, if you want to uh, join up on Facebook, I have a fan page, so you can just type in The Armed Ape over there. Uh, or you can and, and click on like or become a fan. Uh, and then that's where I'm going to do a lot of the updates and start adding pictures and things like that. I recently did a post where I did a, uh, a screenshot of uh, the very end of the movie of Death Wish. And uh, I think it was show number eight that I'd actually done the review. So if you haven't heard that and you enjoyed that movie, go ahead and I'd recommend that show to you. I thought it was pretty good, if I say so myself. Um... So if you want to drop me a line through email, easiest way to do that would be go to thearmedape at gmail.com, all one word, and you can uh, drop me a line there if you want to send in a review. You can either do an MP3 recording or you can write up a review, and I will go ahead and read that out on the show. Or uh, if you want to drop in a line to the show too, do you can do a voicemail which is area code 206-339-3266. Again, that's area code 206-339-3266. The only limit on there is it's a five-minute message, but if you wanted to leave something longer than that, let's say if you wanted to do a review that way, uh, just go ahead and call back as many times as you need to, and then I can put it all together uh, and then put it on the show. I can edit it all together for you. I think that's going to about do it for our contact info for today. So let's go ahead and jump right in and talk about this article. Now, the the uh, I think it was show number 20 or something that I did over for, not 20, oh my gosh, show number like 41, I think it was, or 42. I talked about uh, the, the fact that concealed carry, the constitutional concealed carry, which, if this is your first time listening, basically in Arizona, which is where I'm doing the show from, they passed a law that said that as long as you're legally able to purchase and own a firearm, 
you can carry it concealed. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of what that means, but suffice it to say, it doesn't mean that just anybody can carry concealed without a permit. Uh, but what had happened was, because we had all the immigration hullabaloo and everything blowing up over that stuff, is that the constitutional carry got kind of pushed off to the side. And I had done kind of a, a review of an article that had been done. Well, about a week later, um, another article came out in the paper, and this one was by uh, D.S. Woodfill. And what they were talking about in that article was that the, um, the there's been an increase in indoor shooting ranges, and there's been an increase uh, in the need for having indoor shooting ranges. And one of the things that they talk about was that um, certain businesses are, are, that already have them are going to maybe expand, so they're going to open up different ones. And uh, they talk about things like uh, how a lot uh, of the open areas out in the desert where you could go to, five, ten years ago, it would take you maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the most to get to them. Well, now all those areas that you used to go shooting, they're all developed. And there's houses there and businesses there. And so you keep having to go further and further out. And a good example of that is a place where I go. Um, is it takes me probably a good 45 minutes to an hour just to get there. And, uh, and it's kind of rough going in. But I like going there uh, just because I can. And usually when I go there because it is so far out and because it is kind of a pain in the butt to get to. You hardly ever see anybody there. I mean, I'll occasionally see people there, uh, but usually they're driving by. And if they see your, you know, your truck or something parked out there, they'll say, "Oh, well, they'll go, you know, a little bit down the road." So there's plenty of room that way. Now I see signs that people have been there, and um, a lot of the places that I go go to are BLM land, which is uh, just basically public lands um, that you can go to. So. But anyway, they're talking about how a lot of those things have closed down and the average person isn't going to spend two hours going out, you know, driving, trying to find a place. Or maybe they, their vehicle isn't equipped to go out there. This article is relatively short and I'm just going to go ahead and read it because I think there's uh, some good points that are made by that. All right, the article starts. It's got the uh, front of the article actually has a picture of a man and his wife and she's looking at a gun. And she's holding it in kind of the low ready position, uh, which means that it's extended out and it's kind of pointed down away from her body, sort of toward, pointed more toward the floor. Uh, and the, the uh, title is The Valley's Indoor Shooting Ranges Become Popular Targets. And this is by uh, D.S. Woodfill. And I'll go ahead and start the article. Carol Ann uh, Bergson's voice was at times barely audible over the gunfire just a few feet away. Quote, I don't even notice it, she said, of the noise inside a nondescript building near Stapley Drive in US-60 in Mesa. Bergson works at Caswell's, an indoor shooting range where people can fire any kind of weapon from a 22 caliber pistol to a fully automatic assault rifle. Her husband, uh, Bo Bergson, and two partners purchased the business in December. And, quote, it's been gangbusters ever since, she said. This business has typically grown, I'd say, at least 20%, 10 to 20% a year over the last six to seven years. 
she said as a customer sprayed a target with a machine gun. Caswell's is among the many indoor valley shooting ranges that are seeing a spike in customers. The result, owners say, of the loss of open-air desert ranges to development and personal firearms growing popularity. Employees at one new business, Cunningham Shooting Range near Rittenhouse and Power Roads in Queen Creek, estimated that nearly 900 people turned out for its opening day early in July. Meanwhile, Shooter's World in central Phoenix plans to open a range in Peoria by November, followed by ranges in the East Valley and northern Arizona. Range owners attribute part of the increased interest in guns to women who say they are driving much of the industry's growth. Quote, in the last two years, we've seen a huge increase in female shooters, end quote, said Phil Rowe, owner of Shooter's World at 28th Avenue and Indian School Road. Rowe, who reports annual business growth of 25% in the past two years, is working to capture that segment of the market by featuring self-defense classes and ladies-only nights on Fridays when women get free instruction. Rowe said waits of two hours or longer for lanes are common on those nights. Jennifer Dove, general manager of the Scottsdale Gun Club at Rain Tree Drive and Northside Boulevard, wouldn't disclose her membership figures, but she said business has grown steadily. She and others in the firearm industry saw a spike in interest nationally after the 2008 presidential election because of rumors that the Obama administration planned to clamp down on gun ownership. The administration steadfastly denied these rumors, but they persisted. The industry as a whole saw an increase across the board. Gun sales, memberships, everything kind of took off, said Dove. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, based in Newtown, Connecticut, said results of its unscientific survey in 2009 points to an upswing in the use of indoor ranges across the country. The group said 59% of public indoor ranges reported significant increase, while 26% reported somewhat of an increase. The group also recently conducted its first survey of shooting enthusiasts, about 7.5 million respondents in the western United States reporting doing some form of shooting in 2009. Though no state or federal agency tracks gun ownership or sales, the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives report that American firearms manufacturing is increasing. In 2007, 3.9 million guns were manufactured in the U.S. That rose to 4.5 million in 2008 and 5.4 million in 2009. Sales include both personal firearms and those sold to military and law enforcement agencies. Owners of indoor shooting ranges say that the shrinking valley desert also has helped their businesses because there are fewer areas where guns can be safely discharged outdoors. Quote, if you were in central Phoenix, you could drive an hour and a half each way just to get to an area in the desert where you are legally allowed to shoot. End quote, said Dave Williams of Queen Creek. Williams, 36, who said he's been a shooter since he was seven, used to make one-hour commutes regularly to a range in South Phoenix before Cunningham's opened about 10 minutes from his house. Quote, In recent years, Tonto National Forest has restricted a lot of areas from any type of shooting at all, end quote, Williams added. Quote, The opportunities to go shoot in the desert as people used to do years and years ago aren't there anymore, end quote. So that's the end of the... Uh, of the article uh, you know all in all it it wasn't too bad of an article there were you know a couple of little things in there where 
uh, and again, I don't know if the guys necessarily, I, I wouldn't say they're anti-gun at all, but there's a couple of little things that they throw in to sort of spice it up. You know, the quote of, of uh, let's see, you know, we're, we're, uh, they were talking to um, the the woman and she was saying, you know, the business had grown and she was talking about how much it had grown. And then the, the thing is, she said, you know, she said as a customer sprayed a target with a machine gun. So, you know, it, again, it kind of makes it sound like there's just, it's just kind of a free-for-all, which isn't the case at any indoor range if you've ever been to. Any indoor range and, and the outdoor ranges, for that matter, are very, very safe. Um, there are a few ranges that are still out there that are what I call open ranges. And that means that basically you can, uh, it's, it's just bays that are set up and you just go there and kind of shoot on your own. But one of the things that I kind of thought was interesting in the article was it talked about how that women are increasing, that the, they're seeing more and more women uh, getting involved in shooting and the shooting sports and just in firearm ownership in general. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, um, when you think about who's more likely to be attacked, is it someone who is, you know, 6'1 and weighs 200 pounds? A man, or uh, is it maybe a woman who is five foot three and weighs 102 pounds? Uh, you know, if you're going to have to pick somebody to try and uh, take something from, who would you pick in that scenario? And uh, you would probably pick the woman because if you're a criminal, that's going to be the easier target. It's just simple uh, physical disparity and all that other stuff. So uh, that's why I'm so glad to see more women getting involved. Because that that firearm is definitely a force equalizer, um, and it, it really takes it takes away that what they call that disparity of force. So other than that, that was kind of about it uh, for that article. I just thought it was interesting that it was basically a positive thing. Yeah, it had a little bit of spicy language in there, but uh, not too much really. One thing that I I wish that they would have talked about, but they didn't really talk about it in the article, is all of those places that they mention all offer. Uh, training classes and things like that and I wish that they would have talked about um, I, I know for a fact I, I'm not 100% sure on shooter, Shooter's World excuse me but I know for a fact that Caswell's and Scottsdale uh, Gun Club both offer lots of training classes that you can take and I wished in that article they they would have just mentioned that um, that you know if you want training this is a good place to come get it so anyway let's go ahead and let's drop in Ken's review uh, then when we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show for today. So take it away, Ken. Hey, monkeys! This is Ken from Colorado, coming to you today with uh, number three in my three-part installment of reviews. And this one is going to be the final one on the Appleseeds Projects Rifleman's Boot Camp. And wanted to go, just kind of basically go through the format of the, the questions. And hopefully this will answer all your questions about the what I've been loosely referring to in the previous two reviews. So let's jump right into it. What is it and what is it for? The Appleseed Project's Rifleman's Boot Camp is an eight-day rifle marksmanship course. 
Uh, it can also be kind of a fast track course for those wishing to be instructors for the Appleseed Project. The primary course for the Appleseed Project is their weekend history and heritage lesson with a awesome marksmanship component. Um, I'm kind of half joking about that. Uh, most of the weekend shoots, yeah, they really spent shooting, but there are some really good history bits um, that are given kind of between courses of fire and at lunch. All that's related to uh, the events that started off the Revolutionary War on April 19th, 1775 in Boston, Lexington, and Concord. The Rifleman's Boot Camp is a longer version and it's a lot more in-depth than the weekend shoot. Uh, in fact, uh, attendees to the boot camp um, that are willing can take on becoming instructors in training and they have a chance to start teaching right away because the 7th and 8th days of the Rifleman's Boot Camp um, is in conjunction with one of the regular weekend shoots. Uh, so if you want, you can keep, you know, just keep on shooting on day seven or eight, or you can, what's called, take a hat and help teach the people that are coming to that weekend shoot. Uh, and that's what I did. Uh, I'm not going to go into many details of everything I learned at the camp, uh, but I basically wanted to present to you an overview of the eight days and kind of like some of its logistics. I think if I went through everything we I don't think we'd have time to go through everything I learned there. And I think just in an audio format it would just be boring. So uh, let's see. Uh, my base camp or boot camp rather uh, we had two ranges at our disposal. This is in Rama, Colorado. Uh, this is all conducted at the Ben Lamont Gun Club. Anyway, we had a 25-yard range, and we had a 600-yard range. I spent the first four days on the 25-yard line, or the 25-yard range. And then days five and six, I spent on the 600-yard range, shooting full distance. Um... When you go to one of these events, it's recommended that you bring um, a rimfire rifle and a centerfire rifle, because most of the riflemen's boot camps have access to longer ranges, whereas a lot of the weekend shoots don't always have access to a full distance range. Uh, we might be limited to 25 yards. Uh, but there's a couple reasons for doing this. Uh, using 22 long rifle for shooting at 25 yards adds up to a lot of savings um, over the course of the eight days when you might fire a thousand to 1500 rounds. I shot about a thousand rounds total between my Ruger 1022, my AR-15 with the 22 conversion in it, and 223 when I was at the full distance range. Um, just to break that down a little bit more, I think about 800 of that I shot was 22 long rifle and about 200 rounds of that was 223. Um, days 1 through 4 build real solid skills at the 25 yard line. 
that directly translate to shooting at one to five hundred yards. Uh, and I could verify that because once I went to the full distance range, uh, everything really translated. The only thing that was really different was that I, you know, obviously you have to adjust your sights or your scope for when you're shooting between the distances. Um, there, there were some other factors like that you will learn about uh, wind compensation and things like that, but it's it's stuff that they go through all in one day day uh, one through four. Um, so I spent virtually all of day one on my belly in the slung prone position, shooting five shot groups at one inch squares, twenty five yards. Um, it was repetitive, but great. I mean, just every every five shot group got better and better as we went through more and more of how to build up a perfect prone slung position. And I'm going to try to find some YouTube videos to provide a link to so you can guys can see what that looks like. Uh, during the rest of the four days at the 25 yard range we also covered in depth uh, seated, kneeling, and standing shooting positions we also began to shoot at reduced army qualification targets in these various positions so really like every course of fire was different to some degree uh, it wasn't just all shooting at one inch squares although that, that consisted of a lot of it we, we did it in different ways that broke it up and you know really developed our skills by day four I really had some major breakthroughs in my shooting um, I kind of like gone back and forth on a few of the previous days where it would get a little bit better get a little worse um, having a hard time paying attention to all the factors involved uh, but by day four I was shooting really solid and so on day five I came back to tackle the full distance range again uh, I spent most of those next two days shooting from the slung prone position both at four minute of angle squares and at full size army qualification targets and I don't want to take a whole lot of time to explain this uh, what a four minute of angle square is but basically, I was talking about we were shooting one inch squares at 25 yards. Well, a minute of angle is basically an equivalent to an inch radius at 100 yards. So at 25 yards, that would be an inch square. Uh, if you, as you put that further out in distance, that will just get bigger and bigger. So at 100 yards, a 4 MOA square would be 4 inches. At 200 yards, it would be an 8-inch square. At 300 yards, it's just that much bigger. It's a, it's a direct proportional, you know, one-to-one -one ratio. My pinnacle moment of those, those two days at the full distance range was being able to put 10 out of 10 rounds of 223 into a qualification target that was 400 yards away in about 30 seconds all solid hits uh, and, and I had a crosswind actually I think I did that about three times I didn't always get really um, 
high scores on that, but they were all hits. Uh, let's see. On day seven and eight, when we were joined by the people doing the weekend shoot, I got the chance to help teach others what I had learned. Um, I was also given the chance to become a range safety officer, a line safety officer, and act as a line boss, giving out the shooting commands. You know, kind of over the course of those two days. Uh, this was not only really rewarding because I was helping others learn what I had learned, but it helped solidify everything that I had learned over the last several days in my mind and, and my body. You know, I was I was able to demonstrate over and over to, to some of the newer shooters how things worked, but I could also see their mistakes and. Uh, reflect back on myself previously in the week and could remember those same mistakes and I was able to point those out to to them and that also sort of solidified in my mind what those mistakes were and um, I can only say I think that improved my shooting as well just being able to teach someone um, so question number two so how well does it work how well does the apple seed program work. I think it's a phenomenal program. Granted, I've never been to Gunsight or any of the classes you could take from, say, Magpul Dynamics, Suarez International, or Tactical Response. So I can't really compare to those, but in fact, I'd love to take some classes from those guys. But I think for the price, you couldn't really find a better course. Um... Especially when you understand what what the price really is, active duty military women and people under twenty one shoot at these vents for free. Um, if you're going to the rifleman's base camp, the cost for all others, basically men twenty one and over, is just two hundred for the week. Some ranges charge um, range fees that aren't included in that, so that might be on top of that two hundred bucks. If you go to one of the weekend shoots, uh, it's even less. Uh, you have to go on to the website and check out the events and registration. I believe they're like $75, $80 for a weekend. Um, but the as far as the how much it costs compared to what it's worth, I think both the weekend shoots and the Rifleman's Boot Camp are worth five times what they cost. Um because by weekend, virtually anybody that goes to one of the Rifleman's Boot Camp can own a 400-yard radius in which they can put rounds on target with iron sights or a scoped rifle, hands down. Um, I also think without going to a specialty school, you really can't even get that kind of training in the military. Like, your ba your basic trainings can't even bring somebody up to the level that an apple seed shoot I think can the, the rifleman's boot camp for sure um, maybe going to a, at least a couple of regular apple seeds um, let's see and if you can't make it to one of the rifleman's boot camp which is a week long I know that's a huge commitment um, they have the, the weekend apple seed shoots those are much more frequent and there are a lot more ranges there's there's probably one close to you and one of the reasons that they can keep the price of these 
shoots down so low is that all of the instructors uh, the instructors in training, everybody there is a volunteer. We, they volunteer their time, their materials, they bring out their own equipment that they've been gathering up since they've gotten introduced to Appleseed and they donate their time and money to helping teach other people to be rifling, which I think is a really cool thing. Kind of, Kind of inspirational to me, really. Um, so what about th questions three and four? Um, is there any modifications I'd like to see come from the factory, or were there any modifications I did myself? I'm not sure that those really apply to this type of thing, but I would say, you know, could there be anything different that, um, uh, they could do to make the apple seed better? Possibly. You know, one of the really neat things that I got to experience uh, at some of the instructor dinners was th it, during every shoot, after every shoot, even in the, the middle, the instructors are asking themselves, what can we do to give the people here a better experience? What can we do to help them learn? Uh, so I think really to answer question three that's already in motion the the program is already trying to do what it can to help everyone there get the most out of it that they possibly can uh, were there any things I did that I modified really only my rifles um, you know at the last two reviews I talked about the 1022 and the AR and there were things I had to do to both to get things going so I had a really good experience we talked about my glasses one of the things I did with the AR when I went back for the full distance shoot since uh, by that point I still hadn't gotten my bigger shooting glasses was I brought a scope I you know I kinda bailed on the iron sights for that moment and went to a short scope. I had a 1 to 4x scope that I really like and uh, it did pretty well, you know, and I was able to focus on my reticle by, you know, focusing that in even though I couldn't look through my glasses. I could focus the scope and able to keep my my eye on that, that reticle just like I was supposed to keep my eye on the front sight. Uh, it wasn't, didn't work out perfectly. Now I have shooting glasses, I can, uh, I can go back to my iron sights, which I really will very, very shortly. Um, let's see, is there anything else I wanted to tell you about, uh, modifications? Not really, I don't, like I said, I'm not sure that the question really applies. And the instructors are always trying to improve the course and and adapt to the people attending so that they make sure that they get the most out of it that they possibly can. So check out www.appleseedinfo.org when you get a moment. And look around at the schedule for some of the weekend shoots at least. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, if you have 
and eight days that you can give up, like they generally run Sunday to Sunday, go to one of the rifleman boot camp. You won't find a cheaper, better course. By cheaper, I just mean inexpensive. Um, so now you know why I was, or what I was using my 1022 and my AR-15 for. I had a blast at the shoot. And I helped at a weekend class two weeks later. I hope you enjoyed my series and you're inspired to get out and train a little with your rifle. If you liked what you heard, hopefully this fall I'll have a little more time to do some more reviews. Just let Tony know. Thanks, and we'll see you later. Okay, thanks so much again, Ken, for doing that review for us. Really enjoyed those series. If you haven't heard his other two reviews that he's done... I'd urge you to go ahead and go back and listen to those. They're really good on the last uh, past two episodes of The Armed Ape. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we're at about the 33-minute mark or so, so uh, I don't want to kind of ramble on too much. Uh, I will say, as far as um, upcoming reviews, I've got a couple of things going uh, planned in my head a little bit. You know, one thing I did want to talk about before we go here today... Uh, not so much a review, but uh wanted to ask some of your guys' opinions out there if you guys have had any experience with them. And that is a uh, tomahawk. And by that I don't mean like the tactical version. Uh, I mean something that's more kind of, a, oh, for lack of a better word, kind of like a traditional or it's almost like a modern traditional. So um, uh, some of the stuff that I've seen and some of the things that I'm looking at getting are some of the makers... Uh, they have what they call a spike tomahawk, and then they'll have one that's called a pole, which basically means it's kind of got a, like a hammer side uh, opposite of the blade end, and then the uh, the spike one would be the one with kind of a curved spike, or uh, that's the type that I'm looking at. Now, some of the spikes, can, they can either come straight out or can be kind of in a leaf shape or something like that. But what I'm looking for is something that is going to be a um, kind of like a, almost like a multi-purpose tool and I've seen guys use them before where what they'll do is you don't permanently affix the head to the haft so that you can take it off. And I've seen guys, uh, they'll be able to take their thing off and take the, uh, the actual tomahawk head off. And then they'll be able to go in and use it for skinning or use it for actually kind of fine detail, even shaving work and things like that. So uh, primarily for me, it's going to be used as a, a camp tool. And I'm uh, kind of in between uh, looking at maybe getting a spike, one with an actual kind of a little bit of a curved spike, and not like a real uh, extreme curve, but just a gentle kind of curve on there. And then in between that and maybe getting one with the pole or the hammerhead uh, on the other end. So, like I said, if any of you guys out there have any experience, um, and even, again, with the tactical stuff, if you wanted to do some of that, some of the ones like the SOG or the Vietnam Tomahawks and things like that, um, those I know uh, from the tactical end aren't as good a chopper as maybe some of the traditional ones. Um, so, But anyway, on the next show I may talk a little bit about that and go into a little bit more detail. So if any of you guys want to do a review or have some ideas about them, go ahead and send them in to me. And that's at thearmedape at gmail.com. Uh, or you can call in on the voicemail line at 206-339-3266. Um, 
other than that oh or you can even leave some stuff on the facebook page although with that it's, it's space is going to be real limited so uh go ahead either like just send me an email or do the voicemail all right monkeys this is your uncle silverback saying see you next time This guy's got a monkey scrotum and he's bragging about it. Oh,